Hi everyone and welcome to Get Undressed. Today I have the pleasure of welcoming Bart Rougier, a fellow French entrepreneur who owns DNA Agency, right? That's it, yeah. Who represents over 100 talents worldwide. I mean, you have everything from TikToker, influencer, producers, DJs, musicians, yeah. DJs. Like, yeah. I feel like anything creative, you have it. Yeah, there's more, there's more yeah. we can add, but yeah, we have it. a lot. And then on top of that, you're the owner of a club called B London. B London, yeah. And you're about to open a restaurant yeah. called? Eggshell, which most Love people it. think it's Eggshell, uh, like Eggshells yeah. yeah. or something. So I think we got the name wrong, but it's too late now. It's Excel. too late. You'll yeah. make it work. Yeah, exactly. So am I going to find out how to have the perfect business model today or am I going to find out what it's like to be the business entrepreneur that you are? I think you're just going to find true passion. <laughs> <laughs> so Bart, tell me about yourself a little bit. Uh, obviously, it's really interesting to have, we're in London and to have you coming from Biarritz all the way to London and establishing yourself in this industry the way you have. So I kind of want to have a bit of a background where you come from, what do your parents do and all of that before we move on to the rest. Yeah, I think... Um Wow. Well, I, I moved to, I lived just outside of Paris when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Biarritz is where my family comes from. That was more of a holiday destination because my, my father used to work in Paris. So I, from about zero to six, I lived just outside of Paris. And then my father got a job in a pretty big financial company um, in, in London. And then literally in a space of two weeks, we moved out of Paris and sort of went to move to London. Um, so you grew up in London? I grew up in London from the age of six, but this is what really changed my life, I think, for forever. It was, I was going to go to the French Lycée, being French, you know, six years old, don't, don't yeah. speak a word of English, no choice, I have to go to London. My mother didn't even speak English as well, but she didn't have to go to school. So I think she, she, was, she, was, hiding, fine. she was hiding at home. Um, the French Lycée actually rejected us because my, my father went to work for an American company, Lehman oh. Brothers at the time which was, you know, yeah. Goldman Sachs, Lehman Brothers, the two big yeah. uh, financial companies or however you call them. Um, and so they, they sort of prioritized kids where their parents worked in French companies. And so I got rejected. I was too late. And I moved to London end of August when I was six years old. Oh, and super I had, late. Super late. Yeah. So I didn't even have a school. I, I had two weeks to go to school. And so then um, my mom, my mother, I remember, she was freaking out. She's like, oh my God, we're starting the year. He doesn't have a school. We have like two weeks. Uh, she was speaking to any <laughs> friends that she that. had. And, um, and she said, uh, one of her friends was like, look, there's this international school um, called the Hill House. You know, they really accept young international kids who don't speak English. Um, beautiful school. I think actually uh, Prince, uh, the current king. He's was going that, there. He went there when he was... Oh, he in, went there. Yeah, yeah, so it was an amazing school. I mean, I went to state school when I was in, in Paris. Yeah. Then life changed. Obviously, dad, you know, dad got a great job. So we could afford to go to these kind of schools. And it was like amazing, life-changing. But, I mean, the first day, I was late to my first day at school. Oh, um, you were that I, kid. I, I, the kid I, that everybody stares I didn't mean at. I was crying. I was crying oh all the God. time. So I, 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 was, I had these uniforms. I had like a mustard jumper. Coming from state school, you're wearing like Nikes or Reebok or... You know, I you know, wear what it's I, so weird. That's any. so weird. They're like, there's a uniform. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. And so I, got, I was forced to go and put this uniform on. Um, and I was wearing knickers. Six years old. I don't speak a word of English. I'm forced to put this uniform that I look like a clown. 
we're walking from from my house to school crying all along I'm like where am I going this is this is super scary do you have brothers and sisters much older much, much older. older my okay, sister so was you actually were on your there own. at the time I was not I was with my parents yeah um it was very early in the morning we were walking uh, to school my sister was um she it was summer times so I was like early September so I think she was on holiday or helped us move in uh, to London and I arrived I was yeah, crying like nonstop and I was super late by accident just because I was holding up my yeah. parents, basically forcing that, oh, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. Turn up, they opened the big room with the teacher speaking to all the kids and there's like 300 kids sitting on the floor and there's no space for me to sit. So they literally put me under a table while I'm crying. <laughs> it's and, literally and like kid, nobody yeah, put oh, baby in just, a corner. It's just the beginning of hell because ever, obviously all the English kids look at me and they're like, who is this kid crying nonstop? Like all the kids were super happy. They were yeah. all friends. They'd been in school for a couple of years. Um, and so that was my beginning journey in London. Okay. And then you spend your whole child, well, the rest of your childhood in London, teenage years in London as well. Yeah. <clears throat> no. So I, um, until, and from six until 13, um, Obviously, the 2008 crash happened, yeah. the financial crash. That was terrible. My, my dad lost everything. Um, he went through quite a big depression. You know, he went from nothing to leading the whole Asian market. So he had nothing to do with what happened with Lehman Brothers. It was just, I mean, I know everything. I don't know if you've seen the, the big short, the film. Yeah. 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 I know all my the My stepdad was actually, was working for TI. TI. Texas Instrument. Okay. And lived the 2008 crashed the same way it was it was quite well it was yeah. also 9-11 that did a lot but yeah I've seen the exact same thing like from nothing to everything and then from everything to close to nothing Literally. again and rebuilding your life yeah yeah it was crazy and that last scene in the big short when you see everyone leaving the building yeah Yeah, my dad was one of those guys that was at the top of the building. He had nothing to do with what happened and you know he could see that coming so as a kid I had so much intel of what a big company, what was happening mm -hmm. behind this company. And he, he, he smelt it maybe six months before the financial crash. And he said, I could tell the tension that was going on in, at my home. And because he was looking after the whole Asian market, um, all of these things, I just saw it with my eyes, the fights, everything. And do you think this kind of, you know, internally within your mind did something for your business model like when you work nowadays and the way you lead your business do you think like everything that you've seen when you were a kid influenced that a lot yeah it definitely had a really bad effect or negative effect for me at the beginning yeah. just because I was rejecting the system mm -hmm. um school teachers you know you you, you see your parents fight The stress I can't even today I'm at the age of understanding what a, a big fight could look like You're an eight-year-old kid. Um, you see your parents fighting. You suddenly you have to sell the home. You have they're telling you we're going to go back to France, but we're leaving you in London. All of these things as you're growing up, and they don't tell you because they don't. Wait, they left you in London? Well, I went to boarding school. Okay. So my they would never have left me <laughs> yeah. just in a in a day school, but they know I was. They, my Why dad, did they leave you? Sorry. Why did they leave you in a boarding school? For for a French kid to go to the UK, that simple step feels like a success. You know, France has got a lot of positives. It's a beautiful country. Hospitality is great. It's got a lot of negatives. It's very... It's, it's very close-minded. It's very close-minded. And my parents, I think, 
My mother was obviously very, uh, quite codependent with me. She lost two. That's why I've got such a big gap with my brothers and, and myself, just because she lost two kids before I arrived. I wasn't actually supposed to be born. It was kind of like I was a miracle child. So she was very, she had a very big codependency uh, relationship with me. And my dad said, no, he's got to stay. This is, you know, he'll build a future. It'll be tough, but he's, he's got to stay. So they went back. I was at boarding school. Every three weeks I would go back uh, to London because it was three weeks boarding school um now that's when things got really rough uh those we those exiats what they call them um my dad would put me in a hotel room yeah uh, just because they weren't going to come back for the weekend too expensive um so i stayed in a hotel i'd like 15 16 17 18 pretty much on your own on my own um i mean and at that point i was i started indulging myself in like really bad activities you know I was just rejecting the system um not doing well at school I was very into sports actually my brothers were very into sport they were nearly like professional rugby players so I really liked sports when I was younger it's actually what allowed me to make friends when when I was super young but then I stopped sports and I just did really bad academically became very difficult mentally had a lot of mental issues uh, just my mental health was not good. And, and I was, you know, going clubbing at the age of 16 with fake IDs. I was going to casinos with a fake ID and any little bit of pocket money that I would get, I don't know, sometimes at 16 years old, I would turn 500 pounds into 20,000 pounds in yeah. cash. So the things I was seeing at so such a young age, I understood clubs. I went to casinos. I That's saw. why you went into this industry because you saw it. Yeah, I think I understood a lot. Yeah. I mean, I was just firstly at 16 um, because I was just very obsessed by money and, oh my God, like I've just won like a bit of money at gambling. Uh, I would have obviously cash and I would just think, well, I've, I've got nothing to spend it on apart from clothes or go to the club and buy a bottle. So I, it's like at 16 years old, I, this is in London, every time I came back out of school. So I knew and I met people in the nightlife world. And I was so obsessed by bottles. I was so obsessed by uh, the showing off side of the industry that I think that that's probably when I got to uni or and that when I finished school, I felt like that was, as I had a network. So I felt that that was the, my go-to plan. And that was the moment also to get everything started and do a business out of it instead of just a yeah, hobby, no? I mean... The, the the whole story of me going to university. I, firstly, I was forced to go to university. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna down shame my school, but it was kind you of like forced. A, yeah, not forced, but we had a deal. Uh, I was that bad, and it was kind of like I think I was so close to being expelled, and they yeah. they were really worried and concerned about me. I just wasn't doing good, um, and they were like, "Look, we're gonna get you the help you need. We're gonna put you in therapy. Where we really believe you're you're a good person. You're not a bad kid." That was the university, that not was the your school, parents. The school. I had okay. a great relationship because I was a troubled kid, but I had a, I had a good heart, and you know I really meant well. And I think they could see they knew my story, and I think they could see how much just in pain I was and confused about life. So it was like, look, we'll help you go to therapy. I had a great therapist when I was young at school. The school supported me, honestly amazing what they did for me that showed me that actually there's a humanity behind school system um but they were like look we're gonna do this but you need to go to university and you need to go and apply um i honestly did not know which uni i literally looked at the map i was like where do i want to be in the uk picked and choose 
Yeah, that one. That looks yeah. good. About Manchester, that looks like a cool city. So number one. Then it was like, well, look, your grades aren't great. So you're going to have to go and maybe number get a two? <laughs> Number two is good. Then I think maybe why don't you look at Oxford Brooks? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I can just say to my family, I went to Oxford or something like, you know, but it's Brooks. But then my, my grandparents don't need to know. Um, and that was it. I got terrible grades. And uh, I managed to get myself to, to Oxford Brooks. And how, how do you think, you know, obviously you had a whole support system partying in London. Yeah. I'm not saying about the family and everything, but all of the people that you met when you were partying, is this actually people you ended up working with or is this all smoke not and mirrors? I, I, actually, it's funny enough, I, I don't think they're in the industry anymore. They're not in London. After COVID or no, no, no. just I, in general? I started working in nightclubs uh, from the age of 18. Yeah. So two years later, um, any table bookers or staff, I never re-saw them. I think I met one guy actually uh, who, who stayed on. But the turnover is quite impressive. Just in general, I feel like even in the entertainment business, like there's... So many people I've seen when I started 15 years ago that I don't see anymore today. And in fact, when I go on a job and I see someone that I haven't seen in like five, 10 years and I see them on a job, the first thing we go is like, oh my God, you're still in this crazy industry. Well done. Like, you know. That's a huge thing. See, when I first decided to go into the events or nightlife, I've, I knew because I went through so much therapy, I knew nightlife was not where I belong. And I didn't want to make this a priority. Um, but I had to start somewhere. So I had to sort of understand that that was going to be my sacrifice for years, that I was going to be out all the time networking. I have great friends who I respect and I think they're so, they haven't explored their full potential just because when you're, when you're in nightlife and you're stuck in nightlife, It's a loop. It's a loop. It's a loop. Just, it's so hard to get out ever, of it. You don't even ever think, you just, it's so hard to get out of nightlife. Now, Don't get me wrong, there are amazing people out there who have all started as promoters. So they started in nightlife. You look at Justin Bieber's manager, Scooter Braun, was a promoter. Uh, you look at pff, tons of people. You ask them, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial people, you ask them, what did you, what was your first, what's the first thing you did in your career? I threw parties. Yeah. Now, I was so... Um, sort of like inspired by a lot of these stories, like Scooter Braun, how he found Justin Bieber. I was a bit of a Justin Bieber fan, you know, myself when I was young. And I just got inspired by his mentality of what he did, how he found talents, how he found a gap in the market for these talents. Um, and when I, when I knew that he'd started doing parties and he met the relevant people, which got him out of nightlife, I knew. So that was your point. That, that was, was your plan. That was my point of, I'm going to use nightlife to create a network, to find relevant people. It was not easy because I really wanted to go into music. I was applying for any music job, marketing, you know, labels and everything. I probably applied a hundred times and got rejected so many times. But in that process, I found someone very dear to my heart. Um, a guy called Andy Varley, who's the CEO of Insanity Group. Now I applied to go and work at that agency. He's taken my drama to, to that level. He used to look, he looks after Craig David, now Roman Kemp. You know, Insanity Group is one of the biggest agencies. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's massive. And he really liked me, but I think I was just such a bulldog in the interviews that I think a, a director or a founder likes me, but then the The people working for him don't they like felt it. Threatened. Yeah, a little bit. Like I'm going to come in and just get out my Did way. Did you I'm, go I'm in as like over. when they ask you what's your end goal and everything? Where you like your job? 
No, because I'm not like that. I'm more, I have, I think that's just comes from my very hustling mindset. I, I just, you can give me one thing and I will just multiply it for times 20. Like I don't, I always look bigger than what is in front of me. Or I just suddenly jump into, I don't know, I have this like chess so mentality. So you look at the result, not the road. Yeah, look at the yeah. result. I don't really care about results. I look at what I can do with what's in front of me. And I can sort of visualize a route of where things could end up. I want to go back to the fact that your parents obviously don't work in this industry at all. Mm -hmm. And I want to know what it's like when you suddenly tell your parents, like, look, I've been a club kid and I've been partying a lot. I've not been great at school and everything, but I'm going to make this a job and I'm going to make money out of it. Did yeah. you, first off, did you end up doing that to show them like, look, I can do it. Basically, don't do that. No, I'm going to do it and I'm going to prove you wrong. Or did you just explain to them, well, this is what I actually like. This is what makes me happy. And they were like, okay, it's fine. Go and do mm. that. How Tr was the whole experience yeah, around truthfully, it? Truthfully, I wasn't very happy. Um, my parents suddenly weren't happy. I mean, my I was cut off the moment I decided to leave university. And I, I dropped out about a month and a half, two months before I actually told them. So they think I dropped out after three months. I actually dropped out Well, now they month. know. Uh, no, no. <laughs> and they know. And I've told, I'm very, I have a good relationship with them. So they know everything. But at the beginning, it was kind of, you know, my, I had a girlfriend at the time who her mother had a friend who had a spare room. I was able to rent that room for, for that year um, at a very it was quite cheap. You know, mm -hmm. I was renting it for about 700 pounds, which was cheap for London, right? And I was yeah. in central London, but it was survival. Like it was, okay, I'm going to go. I've worked I, at 16. I went through a whole summer where I worked behind a bar. So I had a bit of experience to buy my first DJ decks. So I was already in that mindset of, okay, I know how to go and get money. I just have got to work for it, right? So I worked behind a, a bar at a pub. Um, what's crazy is I served Prince Harry a drink And now I own a nightclub, which is Prince Harry's favorite. That is club. so funny. That you know, so I funny. served them a drink. Yeah. And now I own. That's manifesting. That's there's some manifestation. This is manifesting. Yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, it's crazy. Like when we were going through the PR uh, releases and everything, it's like Prince Harry's favorite club. And I have this story of like, wow, I served that guy a drink when I first started. It wasn't to him directly. It was his security. Did but you decide to get this club because of what it represents and the incredible guest list? of people who were coming to the club or did you decide I'm gonna get this place because this is a place that's making me feel good I you know I have this feeling I can do something with that that's interesting um because no, it's obviously very yeah. iconic mm, yeah I, I think that comes with the relationship I created the my acceleration today comes from seven years of starting to work from the bottom working with the owners they start gaining my trust or I start gaining their trust over time and they realized how performing I was. So when you're an employee or you work for people, you know, at some point, um, especially with my type of mentality, which is kind of bulldog, but in, in a respectful way, I, I know my worth and I think everyone should know their worth. Yeah, 100%. Male or woman. Mm. Um, so I, I worked so hard for them and I was working for nothing. And they realized, wow, this guy is, he's earning nothing. He, now I understand being an, an entrepreneur. I know now the conversations of what directors and, and owners of companies say about employees. I know the, the mindset. So I just worked so hard and the success of, you know, I worked for, um, I was doing the programming at Raffles. 
the members club in Chelsea. Mm -hmm. And I, my, my main task was um, sort of booking DJs and because of programming the whole sort of um, music programming at, at that space. We ended up booking the biggest DJs in the world. I had David Guetta uh, perform his first ever 200 capacity gig in like the last 25 years. Yeah. So we became a really close team. And then they were so interested in what I was doing. I was like, I don't know, I'm really keen for my agency. I so everything snowballed. Yeah, it was a snowball. And they were like, look, we want to partner up with you. I think we have an opportunity now to own a venue together. We'd let, you know, let's start with the nightclub and then we can... But you already had the agency. I already had the agency. The agency was the sort of the proof in the pudding of, okay, Bart's going very independent in his own way. I could have stayed an employee for them. They would, I think they would have utilized that for a long time, being good businessmen that they are. But they were just so good at mentoring me how to, to deal with sales and operating the business. And also they became incredibly close friends of mine. That's amazing. Yeah, the, the, my partner, um, shout out Carlo Corello, uh, 34, 35 years old. Um, you know, he's owned nightclubs for years. He was the guy re, um, who, who led the way at Bougie's mm -hmm. back in the day. You know, he's owned Mahiki Kensington. He's owned Alberts, um, Jake Parkinson Smith. Those two um, have, you know, they own raffles. They were mentors of mine. I've worked with them for years. And then we just had such an insane work partnership and friendship that it was like, It makes total sense. It just sense. made sense. Yeah, yeah, it made sense. Yeah. And now I know nightlife like the back of my hand. It's easy business for me, I, I find. But now the nightlife has turned into an everyday business, which is quite interesting. Yeah, and it's crazy because people think, oh, you own a nightclub. You must go out partying. Not at no, all. I'm, I'm, as, no. I'm as sober as it gets. Yeah. You know, my parents came to my family. I had my parents and my sister come to the opening of the club and they were just so shocked at how professional and how operational I was. And it's like now it's a total... For me, owning a club is about providing happiness or people. It's to, emotions. Yeah, it yeah. just you know, you you you. Firstly, I, I love music, electronic music. I like underground stuff. You know, I love New York. I love Brooklyn. Like all of these kind of vibes. I felt like Chelsea was getting a little bit too rah rah and you know, too bougie. Champagne, yeah. exactly. So I I wanted something a bit more raw and bring something a little bit light. I knew there was demand for it with the younger my generation of people living in you know in South Ken. I don't know. It's exciting. It's exciting. So it's that, really exciting. Yeah, and it just, I was tired of making so much money for that, for raffles, for example, or my strategies were making a lot of money for that club that I was like, what, this was like, I, it's been 10 years almost. If I've been I can in this make the now. money, why don't I make the money for myself? Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah. and I started making a lot of money when I was consulting for so many brands and, and the agency started making a bit of money. So I managed to save and then I invested and, and that was that. I want to ask you because obviously I read a few of your interviews and everything and you say that you have a very unconventional way of doing business. Yeah. I want to know what is one thing that you do in your businesses that's actually different from the others and that makes it unconventional? And I mean both for the agency or even the restaurant, the club. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think... Um I think I have my why figured out, figured out. And when you have your why figured out, you don't, you don't wake up in the morning and do it for yourself. You do it for others. And that's a very different mindset. Meaning I don't wake up in the morning and say, yeah, let's, I want money in my pocket. I do. I, I like you wake up in the morning and you sort of want your team, your, your people. So it's, it's very not about the money anymore. It's not about no. the money, but it's also not about me anymore. It's about us 
you know, my talents, my staff. It's, I, I'm so uh, inspired by, this was Simon Sinek, who I, I loved what he said, leaders eat last, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. And that's something that I never knew before. It's like before I was starting my career, oh, I need money. I need to prove myself. If I make money, then I'm the best, blah, blah, blah. Um, actually, no. It's, I, you yeah. become a parent. It's like yeah. you become a dad for your company. Yeah. You know, you wake up and you're like, shit, we're not hitting sales. I, you know, how am I going to do with my staff? Like, I know they need money in their account by the end of the month. And that's a totally different energy because that energy is a protective instinct animal type of energy. You become so much more powerful um, than if it's about you. And I think also like being a true boss is the day you understand that you learn as equally as much from your failures than your successes and maybe even more from yeah. your failures. And then once you accept them and you internalize and understand why you failed, then you can do better, quicker and bigger. I have such a good story for this. I, during COVID. Wait, is it a secret? It's not a secret. It's just the biggest lesson I've ever learned. Okay. But I'm sure there'll be so secrets coming. So that can coming. be a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a secret, but I wasted so much money in creating the agency. I mean, like we're talking five figures of investment of my own money. Of your own money? Or of, of my own money. Okay. Yeah, so the, the money that you start your businesses with is actually money you had put aside. Yeah. So what, what happened was... COVID, I was a marketing director for Raffles uh, Members Club, right? And I was sort of consulting other hospitality companies. And I, I, I program a lot of artists in different, in, Mar in yeah. Morocco, I do artist bookings and things. So I get commissions in a lot of different areas. When COVID happened, I was on the furlough scheme. A uh, company really wants to protect me. They didn't want me to go. Uh, obviously, the furlough scheme was a great protection. So the beginning of, of, of lockdown was, okay, Holidays. In a way, which was a huge break for me. Wow, I was, uh, as a young kid, I was just gaming with my friends and just doing lots of things. Wasn't thinking about my career. And then um, I think it was Rishi Sunak who announced, wow, we've got a month left on furlough. And I'm like, okay. I need to do something like now, with my life. Okay, now reality check. Okay, I don't know the the my my bosses at the time, but obviously my partners now were like, look, you know, whenever this stops and we can reopen the club, you're more than welcome here, but we will not be able to um, save you from this. We won't pay you out of our own pocket. You, you have to figure it out. And I actually can't remember if follow ended where I think it kept going in the end, but I ended up just looking for different companies. I was like, wow, okay. So nightlife, forget it. Hospitality, forget it. Music, forget it. Um, look for different companies. And I was just, I had a girlfriend at the time, her dad was working for this automotive company. Uh, we had a barbecue. He was saying, look, like I, I heard you with my, you know, I heard you, um, you were looking for someone to take over the marketing role or you were having problems with your marketing person for this automotive company. This is springs for cars in the aftermarket of the automotive this industry. is so boring oh my god i'm so I, sorry but it's like and, and, the ultimate like how can you go from a club uh, to me, that it's me. like but i somehow felt making is, that exciting yeah, on and everything but this is how maybe how crazy i am i can take anything and make it exciting or i can get passionate about it yeah so they say um the dad says look obviously i have no idea about your skills i hear you've got you've done a few but things you took the job no the first thing is can you create a pitch in by next week Pitch to us, here's the company, look at it, tell us what you would do better. So I'm like spending night and day literally like creating this pitch, learning about automotive industry, aftermarket, suspensions. Wow, okay. But I realized how bad their website was. The content was terrible. And I had a very, I was, I've always been 
very sort of creative and visual. So I told them everything that was wrong. Um, and then I said, this is how I would do it. And they said, wow, we love this. I was like, okay. We love great. this, but we're going to we, take we, you we, as a consultant we, and not as a worker, right? Yeah, because I was, uh, I was like, no, I, they were like, okay, we'll put you on a six months probation as a consultant. Um, here's how much we're going to pay you day rate. I was like, wow, that's more money than I was earning at the club. Okay, six months probation. I have to really show um, what I'm that I'm I'm worth this company. Is it when you opened the agency? No, no. Uh, well, actually, when I started realizing I was going to make that money, I didn't do it. I waited six months for the six month probation to happen, just so that I can understand what my future held. And they offered me a three year contract, earning the money that I was earning with them. And then COVID stopped, and then the club came back opened. to me. So I was earning double. double. But I would, that six months probation was horrible. I didn't have a desk. I was working on the side of my bed um, in a tiny flat. Literally was going on one walk a day. And this was worldwide distribution. I would wake up like at four, five in the morning, have Zooms with distributors in Japan or Australia, and then finish the day at 11 p.m. Well, speaking to America. like in California. Yeah. This was a worldwide, I worked with Shelby, like all these big brands in, in the car world, like BMW, Tesla knew nothing, but it, it really taught me a lot of corp different skills in the corporate world. Um, and I was earning a lot of money. I can't remember how old I was, but I was earning in six figures at that time. So you took the money, invested it in the business. Saved the money. Uh, and I wanted to create, I knew I wanted to create my own thing at that point because I had the money for it. Why did you lose the money? So... This is the biggest uh, probably lesson in leadership that it's not about you. It's about everyone. It's about us, right? So when I created the branding, I had a few people that I was working with. I had a bit of a team. Uh, actually, that team is no longer at the agency. Um, I created the brand, everything, the branding, the website. Um, everything I created was for my own liking. And I never took the time to even ask if others liked it. So I create the brand, I create the website, 15, 20,000 pounds, and then we launch. And then like everyone's getting confused. They're like saying, oh, I love your influences, but those are my DJs. So it's like, I just got so many things messed up. We were already that 360. We were doing like the music management, influencer management, influencer marketing, uh, brand management. Everyone got so confused. The brand was not as sexy as I think it is now. And I said two months later, guys, what, what is going on? Like, what's, we're not going in the right direction here. And I said, just please tell me what you think. He said, well, we're really sorry, but the brand is shit and it's confusing. And at this, this point I was like, wow, okay, I've just invested so much money. Um, this is the moment where you go, well, that's a fuck up, but it, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do better. And I had no better. one else to blame. I had yeah. to listen to my team because if I didn't take that honest opinion, then I would just be what a lot of entrepreneurs do wrong is they think they're always right. And actually your team might have more answers than you think. And so I got back to the drawing board and we said, right, how do we brand ourselves? What's our uh, strategy? And actually, I didn't have to do anything. They gave me all the answers. And I said, I, I said at this point, I can't lose anymore. Let's do it. Let's do yeah. what you guys are telling me to do. Let's do it. I'll take you on the chin. No ego here. So we put everything on hold. And four months later, we reinvested. So I doubled my money into it, launched it. And it was, the rest is history. Everything went perfectly well. We started, the uh, talents that we were speaking to, influencers were really attracted to what we were doing. And we, that's how we managed to get our first proper talent. 
she had about a million, fo- uh, no, half a million followers. But once you have one, the rest comes, right? Exactly. Yeah. But it was the, the, like the previous branding well. and the previous website. Mm. And, you know, websites are expensive when you do things properly. And I think it takes time and people don't realize yeah. how much time it takes. And people don't realize how branding is impacting in general. In an agency world, branding is everything because that's how your it's your shop. It's how people perceive you. Brands, if you don't demonstrate how you can operate yourself, then no how, one how is a brand yeah. ever going to trust no that you can do you. the best yeah. job for them? Yeah. So that was really important. I've always been a very creative guy. I've always been very about branding. Uh, how you present yourself as a brand is, is super important uh, because I truly believe you can not necessarily judge something or someone, but you see in a matter of seconds where they're positioned as a brand or, you know, you look at a luxury brand via pictures, you know, it's a luxury brand. I mean, it's half a second and it's half already done. Yeah. So we're so judged. And now with social media, we look at everything. We're so visually connected that branding is everything. Also, it's like selling yourself. Yeah. Selling yourself is essentially the exactly. most important thing nowadays. Yeah. Do you see yourself as a talent of your own agency or do you see yourself remotely like? Um, I think my probably my biggest talent, pitching. Yeah. That's for sure. I have a big energy for pitching. <laughs> um, i just ruthless. Just you, you can, you really honestly can beat me up. And you'll and get I'll, back up. And I'll just get back up. And I think that was, that I was, this model that I have now in, in my head of how sort of robust I am, I think was when my brother and, and closest friend decided to kill himself a week before I opened the Minor Club. So do you think like this impacted a lot? Yeah, because I feel now life can't, unless I build a, a you know, I have, if I have a wife or I have kids, I don't think life can hit me as hard as they've hit me now. My brother killed himself. Right. My ex-boyfriend as well. And I can tell you, like, I have a kid, I have a husband. Nothing will ever impact you as strongly as that unless you lose a kid. That's unless that's you where lose I, a kid. I, I don't want to be naive or, yeah. or, or ignorant. Yeah. That was the most difficult time of my but life. But it definitely gives you a drive because once you're past the questions, the anger and the sadness, then one day you wake up and you're like, okay, hold on. What am I doing with my life? What do yeah. I want to do with it? How do I want to push through and how do I want to prove to myself that I can actually give myself the best life and respect the fact that somebody that was in my family or my close entourage didn't get that chance. Yeah. Yeah. This one hit home because he's the one that saved my life when I was 17. I wanted to take my life away. Um, And I think it was really difficult just with the emotional bond. I mean, he was like a brother. Um, And I guess I wasn't there for him. And he did that. So it was just, you, you sit there always and... Always that, you always yeah. wonder your entire life, did I do enough? But at the end of the day, there's nothing you could have done different that would have changed the outcome. That's the hard, yeah. the, the hard thing. So he did this in March I, and I sent him a voice note at Christmas. Yeah. So proud of that, actually. I sent him almost like a goodbye. I, re- I re-listened through it. Mm-hmm. It was, I gave him every affirmation that as a human you could possibly look for. You're doing amazing. I'm so proud of you. I miss you. I, I love you. Anything you could say to a brother. So at least he heard that when he was alive and not me saying it out loud when he's not here and yeah. he can't hear it. So I've always been supported him throughout time. He had been away for about a year and a half, so I didn't see him for that long. Um, so it's okay. I, I'm, I've gone through so much therapy in my time that... <laughs> my parents a, are therapists. Uh, oh, wow. You're lucky you get free sessions. I <laughs> mean, it's expensive. No, 
my family is so fucked up. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I love how we assume being fucked up with therapy. It's, therapy is needed. Everyone Everywhere, needs therapy. For everyone, yeah. You know, in you, you, your day-to-day life, wow, you're stressed, you've got a lot going on, you've got to sometimes like, you know, take it on the chin. Wow, not all your your friends aren't always there to listen to you. Yeah, and I think it's so different when you speak to a therapist than when you speak to someone who's close to you because it's not the same thing. And sometimes mm. it's just about being able to express what you're feeling to someone who doesn't know you, doesn't know your background, and yeah. that person can give you some sort of understanding of where you are and why you're there. But what I want to know is, obviously knowing this, do you feel like your need for doing always more? Because obviously, you, I mean, you're essentially leading three businesses and you're responsible for so many talents, but also for teams, you mm. know, for the restaurant. And yeah. um, do you feel like you wanting to do so much is also to kind of like enjoy life to the fullest and take every opportunity that you can take because of what happened? With what happened recently or with the, the suicide or... Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I was ambitious and always have been ambitious with him in particular. And we always discussed and always visualized us being successful. I, the Wolf of Wall Street, when I was younger, made me feel like, wow, like I wasn't attracted to the shitty stuff they were doing in the film. No, or, but it's the you know, attitude. Or like the woman or stuff like this. No, that's not of interest. It was... I don't know, that freedom. I think freedom... The limitless effect. The limitless effect of, you know, I, I'm, I'm someone who's very spontaneous. I, if I want to go on a holiday, I want to be able to book a flight. I don't want to... I work hard enough in my life that when I need a break, that's my gift. Whatever you need to do to go away, enjoy life. If I want to go to the Maldives, I want to be able to afford that. You know, and I think I have this just insane drive to one day be able to create a nice, sustainable future for my kids. You know, I want a family when I'm older. And suddenly now, because his name was Nick, Nick Joyner, um, who's obviously the, my, my friend who, who committed suicide. And he was a big family man. So now I feel like I've earned, I've gained his vision and I've just made mine come together. And and I'm like, okay, let's do this now. You're with me. You're, you're not mm. here physically, yeah, but we're but together now. Let, yeah. let's, let's make this life a, a beautiful, uh, heavy life of just ups and downs. And how obviously like everything you're doing is so 360 and fast paced, like the pace that you're moving at is insane. Mm -hmm. The amount of businesses you're doing is impressive and you're a big advocate for mental health, but essentially what you're doing is like a recipe for a burnout. So how do you protect yourself from that? Mm -hmm. And how do you make sure that you still have time for your personal life, for yourself as well? And that you're not just like lost in your businesses all the time. How do you do that? Yeah, it's a really difficult one because I'm so strong on mental health, but yet I may not look after my mental health in the best way. Um, I have no idea. Honestly, it's just I, you. I think I understand the word um, being a professional uh, and and becoming an expert in your field. It's... It's years and years of what it, how it's, I started my career was, okay, I'm going to miss the pub. I'm going to do some work. And probably at that time when I was 18, 19, 20, I would maybe do 10 minutes of work. But that 10 minutes of determination of extra work, zoom forward five, eight, 10 years, 
that becomes hours and hours of work. And it's like when you look at a prof professional footballer, you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, the guy turns up to work first and he leaves work last. And I think now I understand that it's routine. But he has a family life and he's a very present father. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I, but he also has a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so he can, you know, he... I think at the beginning, I've had to work my entire last sort of eight years with very little money. Now I'm starting to see a lot of revenue. Um, so now I have to sort of manage this correctly. And I, I have my sort of values of, okay, my priority today is make sure that everyone who works in my circle can have a decent living. That's the most important. Then I'll focus on me, understand how I can balance more of my personal life, you know, um, The great thing is I work to earn money. I can invest in personal training. I can, you know, I've tried things like biohacking recently, yeah. uh, which didn't work out. The reverse effect was terrible, but... Um, <laughs> really? Oh my God. They were saying, trust me, you, you suffer with hay fever. It's going to cure everything. Did the cure, suffered with the worst hay fever ever. Really? Had. Yeah, so... Um, And it was like, you know, it's going to help your nervous system. I was into doing that. Now you're like convincing me not to do it. You just make sure you tell them you tell them everything. Because she, I think my nervous system was really screwed because of the suicide. Mm -hmm. And obviously I opened the club the week after and I had, I was crying the whole week and then suck it up, turn up, open this club. And everyone's like, oh, well done. You've opened a club. Oh my God, amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Inside you're just dying. So your nervous system is just, I think, broken. And I hit a burnout not long after it. Um, so she, the doctor said, she, he's, she said it to my girlfriend, it's my girlfriend who invited me to do it. She's like, you need to look after yourself. And I reacted so bad, depressed for a whole weekend, horrible, like it felt really, really dreadful. Is your girlfriend like pushing you to take more time for yourself? Firstly, she's asking for more time with her, yeah. um, which is, I think a huge problem in entrepreneurship of the time you devote to your personal life with other people. I actually, I so cool i had this in, i've got this interview that's been released with wonderland magazine which i'm a huge fan of and one yeah, of the things amazing yeah magazine. it's incredible it's all dana to sonin yes she's the best <laughs> um no it's more you just become so crazy and you're so obsessed and you you will lose you you do lose friendships because some friends just cannot they can't they don't have the patience to deal with you uh, some will really take care of you. Do you know what? I have an advice because I'm, I'm old. I'm 36. Not that old. <laughs> I've been through that moment of like, you start like suddenly making it. Obviously for me, it was different because it was the fashion industry, but you start making it and you work nonstop. And I'm lucky enough that I'm with the same person for 10 years. And we hit a moment, probably three or four years into a relationship where he was like, you know what? I love you, but I can't be with you because all you think about is your business and your work and you breathe work life mm -hmm. and you just have to find and figure out a why this is obsessing why you're so obsessed with it but b how you can give time to someone else and make sure that that person when you give them time your brain is actually with them and because one thing is to be there physically and the other thing is to be there mm -hmm. physically but just be thinking about something else or be on your phone and stuff like that we broke up for three months And it was a big lesson because then I learned, okay, when I'm with him and when we have time together, we might not have a lot of time together. And it's the same with my son now, but when I'm there, I'm there. Yeah. And it will make me so much more effective after. But what I understood is if I don't have my private life and if I don't have like my support system in my private life, my work life goes to shit. Yeah. 
and it's so it's so hard to balance but even if you figure out a tiny balance that's enough and it's like you always feel guilty because you're always you're always going to be working a lot you're always going to have those businesses and I always feel guilty but at least I know okay I'm still giving them enough time and I'm still like the time that I spend with them I cherish and I value because the day I die no one's going to remember that I did a Vogue cover yeah but my child is going to remember that I wasn't there to pick him up on time yeah you know I haven't quite got there obviously being yeah. so young and I think I'm this is why I'm I vouch for young entrepreneurship because in 100%. a way 100% do it, do it while you're young because then you, then you can actually have time yeah. and enjoy. And, yeah. and revenue is, I think, probably the biggest problem in family life, relationships. It's all about money. Oh, I don't I even mean, you to... don't think about money when you have money. That's the thing. People yeah. are like, I don't think yeah. about money. I'm like, you have money. That's why you don't think yeah. about it. Or, or the most toxic trait or the most toxic relationship to money is you have a lot of money and now you think, oh, wow, I want even more money. Yes. And then I said, there's just a never ending. At some point, you got to say, look, if naturally my businesses are going to keep growing, great, I will cater for it. But I'm going to have other people dealing with it. I, I need to I get, take yeah. a step back. You know, there's also the, the entrepreneurship model of sell the business, you know, go on to something else, more chilled. I mean, I, I'm, I want to do a lot of Is charity. that your end goal? Mm, honestly, probably being such an addict for work. Um, <laughs> if I sold all my businesses, then what would I have? You would open another <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> so um, I don't know. No, what I really want to do though is have enough money to really focus on doing a lot of great things. You know, I would love um, to create a sort of charity that, you know, goes into sort of a scholarship, sorry, um, system into rehab. So people who are rehab, give them an opportunity of a scholarship to actually give them an opportunity to really create passion for themselves to get out of whatever mental battle they're going through. Um, so yeah, I have lots of ideas. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Or even I would love when we get to a, a much bigger level, um, Actually, I say this, but we could start this pretty soon. I want to get all our talents. I'm not about ego. I hate ego, actually. Ego kills everything. It, it, it just kills you. Um, I want to bring my entire companies, all my staff, all my talents. I don't care if you've got 12 million followers or 500. Everyone's the same. We're all human. I would love to have a trip once a year where we utilize the power of our following to go and get sponsorship money. This go, is like that thing of, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like that thing of all these influencers. I don't know. In, in France, they did that. They go into a house and they work together to get like stronger influence and work on getting brand deals, but also like creating how to be an influencer in a better way. Yeah. So I would love to do that, but more for a charitable cause. So I don't know. Like, let's say a goal would be help. Uh, bring in investment and various money investment to go and, and build a school, let's say in, in, in some of the most, um, what's the word? Sorry, I'm lost. The most, uh, what's the word? How do you say? Deprived. Uh, deprived areas. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Bart, it's been 47 minutes. Wow. Goes that quick? Yes, it goes that quick. <laughs> wow. Shit. Um, I hope you're not too traumatized, but I have a few more questions. Sure. Yeah. And I want to go over rapid fire questions okay so this is like quick one or two words accessories must have phone your brand style in one word black favorite fashion trend black (laughs) (laughs) 
back. <laughs> Something banned from your wardrobe. Uh, that's a hard one. Say Crocs. No, my girlfriend oh loves my Crocs. Oh my God, no. No, 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 no. I love Crocs. Um, I mean, I did go buy a pair actually. Uh, no. What's banned? What's banned? What's banned? Um, I, uh, my mother would say tank tops. I wear too many tank tops. Yeah. Your fashion icon? Wow. Uh, I have so many. I do. Oh, this sounds so cliche. Uh, no, I can't say that one. No, no, no come on, say it. No. Uh, I do actually really like Ralph Lauren. Like from what That's he cool. did. Yeah, because really cool. when you look at Emilion Doré, it's yes. they're massively it's the inspired. New, yeah, yeah but the they're inspired Ruffin. by Ralph yeah. Lauren. So I think at the beginning it was Ralph Lauren. Yeah, I like it. Dream client. Apple. Yes. Yeah. Um, fashion or food? Food. Dog or phone? Dog. Ah, good. Yeah, I'd be willing good. to get rid of my phone for a dog. hundred percent. I love dogs. Naked or dressed? Uh, dressed to get to work. <laughs> Shoes or bag? Shoes. Crocs or Uggs? Crocs. No. <gasps> I, I have like this deep hate for Crocs, like yeah. until I die. Yes. I think they're pretty funky. Chanel or streetwear? Streetwear. Then obviously we're on Get Undressed, so I need to know a secret about you. Something you don't usually reveal or you don't tell anyone. Or something that happened. Um, wow. Uh, that one's actually pretty difficult. <laughs> uh, so anything, right? Yeah. Is there a lot of things? <laughs> actually, the craziest story... I was about 17 years old. I went to the casino and I had about, I started with 500 pounds. I walked out, I had about 40,000 pounds in cash. I went for a cigarette and I walked back in. I was so addicted to gambling. I you walked, lost it I all. lost everything in five minutes. Yeah. That was the worst thing I've ever done. Don't gamble. Don't gamble. Yeah, don't gamble. I don't gamble at all. I went to Vegas uh, a couple of years ago and I just literally spent 10 pounds at the table. And that's when I knew I was cured. As really? I went to the table, I was like, forget it. I hate gambling. I don't gamble either because I know I would be, you know, I have a, a shopping addiction. Thing. I turned that into a job. So I'm yeah. like, gambling for me is pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty no, dangerous. Fashion, I, I love spending, you know, my money on clothes as well. I like clothes a lot. I need to venture out of black. So if anyone yes. wants to give me colorful clothing, <laughs> it's summer as well. What am I doing? Everyone says you're such a nightlife guy. You always wear black. I've got nothing to do it. I say I wear different gradients of black. Ah, 50 shades of black. Yeah. <laughs> Bart, thank you so much thank for today. You. Thank you for coming on Get Undressed. It's been a pleasure. Thank and you I very hope much. people have learned a little bit about you. I definitely have. And thank you for following us on Get Undressed. You can see it on Spotify, YouTube, Apple, everywhere. Thank you. <laughs>